listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. I'm Brandon Rhinus. I am a writer-director. You might know me for my films Hotbox and John 316. And I am currently working on a new horror film called Grotesque, as well as uh, a new novel. Brandon Rhinus, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, anytime. This is so exciting to have you on. You really have uh, quite a bit that you are known for. Um, of course, and work on, of course, beyond even what uh, you mentioned there. Uh, you do have the films Hotbox and Core Values. You, you wrote John 316, uh, where you were the writer on that, Grotesque coming out. Uh, you also have 10 comics you write for, and we're going to get into that too. But that includes Misfits, Stargirl, Ghoul Squad, Skull Alley Cats, The Boy with the balloon with a balloon for a head stoner kid mental uh mental case brutal jones and elvis the zombie so you stay busy quite a bit but before we get into uh any of that let's go all the way back brandon to fourth grade can you tell us the story of nod narb sinner nod narb's a senior that's it's uh my <laughs> Name backwards, Brandon writes backwards. Yes. Um, yeah, I had this dream one night um, when I was in grade four, and or it was you know the beginning of a story. Basically, in this dream, I was coming home from school, and um, I walked into the house where I grew up, and there was some kidnappers in there, and they kidnapped me. Um, so that was my dream. So when I woke up, I that kind of gave me the idea. Hey, I should write this into a story. So I turned it into a a short story that I wrote with you know pencil and paper where, you know, it opened with that, where I was kidnapped. It was, the script was written from the first person perspective. So I was kidnapped and taken to this like high rise skyscraper building and I had to escape. Um, so I, I wrote the story down and, um, the next day in English class, I asked the teacher if I could read it to the class and she let me. So I read it to the class and, you know, as soon as I finished reading it, you know, the class kind of erupted in applause and everyone just loved it. And, you know, at recess, I remember everyone was coming up to me asking questions and I was kind of, you know, Mr. Popular for, uh, you know, the 15 minute break there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of the, that's the exact moment where something clicked in my mind that it's like, hey, I can write stories and people like them. So basically from that moment on, I've never aspired to do anything else. Yeah, it's so uh, fortunate to sort of find a love and be rewarded for it early where you have this opportunity to start young and make mistakes and uh, believe you, you had a few of those in your life, all happening sort of in grade school where uh, you tell a story and your classmates applaud, or you make a drawing of Wolverine cutting your teacher's head off. And, <laughs> and instead of you going to the principal's office or being suspended, the teacher's like, that's pretty good. <laughs> and I, I think that's wonderful. And, and, and you started, you, you mentioned that you admittedly 
made some bad short films and kind of worked a decade before uh, Misfits and Stargirl actually came to life. Uh, I'm curious, um, you know, a decade is such a long time. I know you're working with, with, you know, Adam Storoshuk, which was a partner of yours and, and is a partner of yours, but, but a decade is a long time. How did you continue to have the confidence and courage to keep going? Yeah, it was, it's, it's kind of weird. Cause I mean, yeah, I did, I got an early start. I just, you know, I, you know, wish I could go back in time and just work as hard as I am now starting when I was 10, but I didn't, I just, for some reason, I never, I don't know if it was just kind of like lack of self-confidence, but I never really thought I could do it. It was always something I kind of did for fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even, you know, throughout my teens, I kind of, you know, made some short films that we'd shoot on video. Um, I never really showed them to anyone like YouTube didn't exist at the time. So I kind of just made them even in my twenties. Um, I made a couple short films that never really went anywhere and they weren't very good. I worked with a couple buddies. We made like a full length action film that we shot over a period of like two years. Um, and it was not very good. And it was just, it was always something I kind of did on the side. Um, I just never really tried that hard. And, um, and it wasn't until kind of like my early thirties where, um, you know, I got laid off from my job and where something just kind of clicked. And I was like, you know what? Like, I wonder if I put everything I have into trying to make this actually happen, if I could do it. And there's always that thing in the back of your mind where it's like, man, what if I try my hardest and it's an absolute failure? Then, then basically, you know, I have to like walk away with my tail between my legs. Um, so it was, it was a hust in my ass basically. And just, you know, it started working. You know, I started doing the comic books and started getting known for that. And, and then, you know, I kind of remember that, Hey, you know, back in my twenties, I used to, write um screenplays maybe if i started doing that again now that i'm better at it and and have more motivation maybe that'll take me somewhere so i started writing them next thing you know i'm kind of selling scripts and optioning them and and then i, then I kind of took it one step further where it's like i wonder now that i'm kind of gaining this momentum if i started doing that and then that's kind of been kind of going uh, getting bigger and bigger um so next thing you know i'm kind of doing all these different mediums and i even started writing books i wrote um a novel. And next thing you know, I got hired to write a couple more novels for other people. And then I'm writing a new one. So it's kind of like, once I put my mind to doing this, um, it just, I started making it happen for myself. What job did you have that you got laid off from? Um, uh, I wouldn't even call it a career. I was just working in a machine shop, just operating, um, like a sheet metal punching machine. Wow. But I did, I've been doing other jobs too. You know, I had a sweet, some video type, you know, I went to college to do like, um, kind of like video camera work, like working in news. Mm-hmm. So I kind of worked for some news stations for a while doing that kind of thing. And then I basically just, you know, I knew in the back of my mind that the creative stuff was the only thing I ever wanted to do. So I didn't really care what my career was. I didn't really want a career. I just did whatever I had to do to pay the bills while kind of letting the creative stuff languish and just knowing the whole time that I should be doing more but not doing it. Um, And it just finally just took one day to finally decide to like jump in and do it. And I've been doing it ever since. Was there ever a moment where your parents just kind of turned to you and said, when are you going to get a real job and take it seriously? Honestly, no. My parents have always been supportive. You know, I hear all these stories. Uh, it seems like almost everyone that I hear from, the, they have that where, you know, their family doesn't support their crazy dream where, you know, my parents have always been on board. Right. I think since, you know, I mean, when I first started writing my first stories in kindergarten or however, you know, as soon as I could, you know, write the alphabet, basically, 
I think they kind of saw something in there that I was just kind of ahead of a lot of the other kids in that in that respect. So I think maybe they just kind of saw some potential in me that maybe I didn't even see myself. Um, so they kind of weren't even that surprised when, um, you know, I'm winning awards now and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I think they, they've been kind of supportive all along, thankfully. Were either of them creatives? No, not at all. Um, yeah, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you, where do you think you got it from? I have no idea. Like it, it, like it goes back so far um, <laughs> that I can't remember it starting. I even remember uh, having this kind of like dream or vision or hallucination or something when I was two. Um, and in the back of my mind, even it's one on my list of kind of outlines I'm working on for stuff. So even a story from when I was two years old is being developed into some sort of horror story at the, at the moment. So it kind of goes back to like my earliest memories. So I don't remember where it came from was I've always done it. You know, I used to write, um, star Wars stories, um, when I was super young. And I remember my goal was to like reach the end of a page and I'd write it in pencil and it was double spaced. And I remember I'd run out of story before I got to like the end of the first page, you know, it'd be like four or five sentences, but I just wasn't developed enough to make that long of a story. And then one day, all of a sudden I hit the end of the page. And I remember running into the kitchen to tell my mom that, you know, I, I wrote one page of a whole, like a story and, you know, um, so that's kind of how far back it goes. <laughs> I love that. And you're, you're really, uh, spot on when you said you got to work, uh, in your early thirties, you started building, um, all of these, uh, projects and, and all this IP. And this is before I think that, you know, comic books became, sort of the avant-garde thing to sort of create in, in Hollywood. And, and, and you were doing this stuff. I want to ask you a couple of questions about that concept that, uh, you know, getting to work or working your, your ass off and making sure that uh, uh, you can really do this. Uh, you live in Canada, you grew up in Canada and um, I don't know what the, what the comic book scene is there. Maybe you can illuminate us that on that, but I'm curious, you know, why didn't you uh, feel like it was worth pursuing maybe let's say a decade earlier in your early twenties, like in terms of just really working hard on it and putting it all on the line? Like why did it take getting laid off uh, to go into that? And then secondly, I know that you talked about uh, bootstrapping everything, sort of paying for all the creative, all the artists, everything up front. Why take that route instead of trying to get the money elsewhere? Well, basically, uh, as far as the, the comic scene here in Canada, I mean, we have a far smaller population than the United States, so it's smaller. But there are people, you know, I live in Edmonton. There's, you know, there's other people making comics here. There, there's somewhat of a scene, but um, other than, you know, Facebook, Twitter, where I kind of connect with other comic book people, for the most part, it's just kind of me and Adam doing our, our little thing isolated from others. Um, but, yeah, the, the reason I didn't start earlier, I mean, like, yeah, it was just like lack of motivation. And, you know, to be honest, you know, I was like drinking a lot and doing drugs and stuff in my 20s and being stupid like a lot of people did. <laughs> I just I just, yep. you know, I didn't have it. It just it just wasn't my time. Right. I just was basically the way I see it now. It's like, you know, I was wasting my life away doing nothing. And then one day um, it was like 2012, I think um, I basically I, you know, I quit smoking, I quit drinking, I quit all drugs in on one day and to this day have not touched any of them. So I was just like, you know what, I'm changing my entire life as of this second. And once I did that, it took, you know, some adjusting to kind of, you know, 
do that. But it was right after that where um, I all of a sudden had a lot of disposable income because I was used to like, you know, three quarters of my paycheck would be squandered on stupid things. All of a sudden now I was like, hey, I have all this extra money. What should I do with it? So it's like, hey, you know what? If I'm doing this comic thing, like all of a sudden I have enough to pay people to do this stuff because I'm not used to being strapped for my budget. So that's where I kind of I found that extra money to put into. Yeah, congratulations, by the way, on uh, getting sober. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think uh, next week is like nine years, I think. It's amazing, man. Amazing. Sorry to interject. I just want to make sure I told you that. Right on. Yep. Yeah, so that's kind of where that money came from. And and even when I, I didn't even I basically didn't even think to raise money from other people. Because <laughs> I didn't know if anyone would believe in me. I was like, you know what? I'm doing this thing. I don't I don't want to have to go begging for other people. I don't need to kind of like prove myself to anyone. It's like, I want to do this. I want to do it my way. Um, so I'm going to put my own money into it. And then no one could tell me what to do. So, you know, Adam, uh, Adam Storz, Chuck, my um, partner on this, he kind of, you know, he put a lot of money into it. And basically we just started making this stuff happen. And as we built a fan base and moved into movies, all of a sudden, you know, we started doing the crowdfunding because – we basically ran out of, you know, we're not that wealthy. Basically we couldn't fund that many projects. So we started raising money and the more we did that kind of money started popping up from other sources and we've somehow been able to, you know, just struggle through and fight and make it happen. That's amazing. And fast forward to now and you've written for film, television, comic books, uh, and even novels. Uh, you know, what media format is your favorite to write? For and, oh god, and, and it's, why. Hard to, it's, it's hard to say. I'll say right now, um, writing novels is my favorite just because it's new. I don't think I'd like up until this year when I started writing the novels, I don't think I'd ever like I hadn't written um, like an actual like prose story since probably high school. It's been a long time. You know, I'd written comic books and, you know, comic book format and screenplays, uh, that kind of thing. But I had never actually written a book. And now that I'm doing it, it's like, oh, this is so fun. You know, it's just so different than the other mediums. And so I'm kind of enjoying that um, while I'm doing it. I love it. And speaking of that, yeah, you you actually did some work this year. In February, you released a novel called I'm Haunted. Tell us a little bit about I'm Haunted. And then also, how has COVID uh, interrupted or, or uh, changed the, the way you had planned on promoting and rolling out this novel? Um, yeah, funny enough, we actually sh- like, um, I'm haunted started as a web series I did that was totally COVID style, except it happened. We shot it like last August, September before anyone had ever heard the word COVID. Um, so maybe that was some sort of like subconscious premonition on my part. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but, um, mm-hmm. basically I came up with the idea, um, with, and I pitched it to uh, Elizabeth Chamberlain, who is a, a great actor that I work with frequently. And basically the story was going to be. Um, she plays a character who thinks that her apartment is haunted. So she starts this kind of video blog to document these strange events. Um, so we filmed, I, I wrote a script, we filmed the entire thing and then we released it, um, in real time, kind of once a day or every couple of days over the course of two months. Um, kind of like this is happening in real life. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant idea. Can I just tell you that is, that is such a great way to approach a web series. That's kudos, kudos. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we basically, we released the whole thing. It didn't get as many views as I want on YouTube, but you know, it's the way it is. Uh, we got, you know, a lot of people liked it. Um, but then I had all this footage and I was like, Hey, you know, we could probably make a, like a feature length film out of this. 
So I combined all the episodes together. Altogether, they were like two and a half hours, which is too long for a movie. So I basically cut like an hour, 20 minutes out. And I just kind of put like all the best parts into it and arranged it so that it's it's like just like a really quickly flowing story. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping it's almost done. I'm hoping to release that, you know, this year, early next year. Um, but the thing is, the way that it's staged in the script, since it's her talking to the camera, it's kind of like a, like, you know, it's like a, a video blog. So it's kind of like a, like a video diary. So it was written in like from her perspective. So I kind of came up with the idea I could release this as a book and the book is written in the form of a journal, kind of like this is her journal instead of a video. It's just her writing it down of all this freaky stuff happening to her. So I wrote that and then um, released it on Amazon. You know, I sold a bunch of those and got some attention. And But that kind of led to me um, getting hired to write another novel. And then that led to me getting hired to write another novel. And then now I'm writing another novel based on my <laughs> um, my film, uh, Man of the Box, which is a uh, We've released a trailer on YouTube for it. So uh, now I'm just like every project I have, I could turn into a novel. So I'm just, you know, busting my ass trying to get those out there because I'm enjoying the process so much. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, was there any, um, you know, you said you sort of sold a bunch on Amazon. Was that really your your primary rollout plan, marketing, branding plan for the book? Or was there more? Because it sounds... It sounds like if that was the plan, then COVID wasn't a big deal. But but did you, you know, you released this in February of this year. Did you uh, have to change your plans because of the pandemic? No. And to be honest, like the pandemic didn't hit me as hard as a lot of other people. We um, we were shooting a pilot, a TV pilot called Hancock's. And I think we wrapped like two or three days before the lockdown happened. So we kind of locked out there. And as far as that, like a lot of the projects that, um, that I'd written for other people were kind of, you know, put on hold and a lot of them still are. So it kind of got hit that way where things that were supposed to happen didn't, but I make my, most of my living through writing anyway. So there were other opportunities that came up, you know, people were hiring me to write scripts that they're going to shoot, you know, whenever, whenever it's all over with and that kind of thing. So, um, we are running into problems now with grotesque where, you know, just people getting tested for COVID and having isolate and kind of screwing up our, shooting dates and everything. I mean, it is just something we have to deal with, but I guess it's a, it's a fact of life, but I just, you know, the way I work, I try to just work around problems like that. Problems are always going to arise. So if I can't do one thing, I'll do another thing. And, you know, it's like, you know, as for the marketing plan, I, I wish, I honestly wish I was smarter, that kind of stuff. Cause I just, I'm more excited about making the things than releasing them. So basically it's like, okay, the book's done, put it on Amazon and I'm already on to the next thing. Right. And it's like, I should be promoting the book, trying to make money at it. But I'm always, I'm like, man, I'm on the fourth thing after that already. And so, you know, I'm always kind of trying to find someone, you know, if I need some sort of manager, publicity agent or something that can just kind of take the things that I make and, you know, turn them profitable. Cause I'm always just like cranking stuff out and, you know, always on to the next thing. And, um, I don't want to slow myself down by having to, uh, you know, market stuff. Cause I just don't find that as exciting. Yeah. Well, a lot of managers and agent types listen to this podcast uh, weekly. And so you might <laughs> just find yourself with a bunch of people in your inbox after this one. Oh, nice. Uh, but, but that's, that's great to hear. It's, it's funny and super relatable as well. Uh, you, you talked about grotesque. It's going to be a horror film that was slated for 2021. Maybe it is later, but hopefully 2021. Um, we talked about the haunt, uh, I'm haunted, 
the novel, the movie, the web series. You also have core values in John 316 that you or 316 that you wrote. And they all seem to sort of have the theme of uh, religion and mental health and self-image and image and drugs. And I'm curious and, and horror. Uh, what is it about those topics that you find to have as a writer so much tension built into them? I know it's, it's just it's really I guess it's just something I, I just find those kind of concepts interesting. And sometimes I don't always do it on purpose. It just, you know, I start thinking a certain thing. I start writing something and just kind of veers towards that angle. And and really, if you think about it, like John 316 was like a straight up drama, pretty much. Uh, Core Valleys was kind of like thriller. A lot of ones I do are horror. So even though they have similar themes to them, they are drastically different in um, in their genre. Even, you know, like John 316 has been winning a you know, just recently won like best picture, best uh, screenwriter, best actor, best cinematography, a bunch of other awards at the Ontario International Film Festival. And mm-hmm. people are like, oh, my God, you wrote John 316? You know, they couldn't believe it because, you know, they're used to seeing me do, you know, stuff like grotesque and other like horror type stuff. So really they are. It's a wide variety of stuff I do. Hotbox was a stoner comedy, right? It, it had some of those elements in there, but it was you know, it was more Cheech and Chong than horror. So, so I, I still think that I have a very wide variety of, um, um, genres that I write in, but there, there are themes that you'll definitely see repeating themselves and, you know, I'm kind of in the midst of it. So it's hard for me to be objective, but if you kind of stood back and looked at my body of work, I'm sure you could be like, Oh yeah, there's definitely things that make it a Brandon Rhinus movie. Cause you know, I probably go over the same topics a, a lot. Is there any rhyme or reason to it, or, or do you just? Or is it sort of you? You just have the idea and you go. Um, it's it's a bit of both. Sometimes I just have an idea and I go with it. Other times, um, I kind of just look at what people are looking for. Like I heard um, uh, Christmas romantic comedies are popular, and I was like, I can write a Christmas romantic comedy. <laughs> so I wrote one. Uh, you know, and you know, within a couple of weeks, it was optioned uh, by a company in the UK and. Hopefully, we'll be going into production at some point. Um, so sometimes mm-hmm. I can do things like that. You know, like with COVID, I heard that um, you know, just like limited locations with very few actors are kind of what people are looking for. And I was like, you know, I can write that. Um, and some of them, I write things for myself that are going to be super high budget, and I can't really pull off myself at this point. But I just want to write it anyway. Um, with the novels, that there's nothing. Novels not limited by budget right now, so I can write whatever the hell I want. So mm-hmm. uh, and so it's kind of uh, you know, and a lot of it too is like um, most of my writing is for hire because I gotta you know pay the bills somehow, um, and that just comes down to writing whatever the person paying me wants me to write. So um, so I'm just trying to build my talent of being being able to write anything that comes my way. Yeah, I think that's really smart. And I I never you know judge or look at. Um you know, look at what a writer can or cannot write because there's a genre that, that, uh, they're known for. I mean, Craig Mason, who wrote scary movie three and four and the hangover, I think two and three, he also wrote Chernobyl. Yeah, exactly. And so those, those just couldn't be more, more different. Uh, so just curious if there was something to it for you and that, that you were headed down maybe a Stephen King sort of path, but, uh, but, but was curious about it. So that's, that's all good, man. Um, I, I don't know if this audience fully has gotten it. We've mentioned it a few times, but I want to make sure the audience is fully aware of like the depth and breadth of your work. I mean, you have 
73 total projects, 15 upcoming. So you're very high in demand uh, for sure. And you have at least 10 comic books that you write a story and plot lines for. How do you keep it all straight? Um, I don't know. Honestly, I, I just do. Um, you know, I keep, I have, um, I have like documents I keep on my laptop where I just have like lists of ideas and, you know, some of them are just like a massive, like a, it's like a creative dump of, um, just goals and random concepts that I kind of keep. And whenever I'm looking for something, I'll go over those and pick one. And then I kind of have another folder that's like more developed ideas that just have, you know, more of an outline to them. And then I'll have the ones that are way more concrete that I'm actually actively working on. Um, and certain ones will, you know, kind of come up, um, you know, something, you know, I'm kind of working on one thing, but then I get hired to write a project. So I'll kind of scrap everything else I'm doing for the moment to work on that one. Um, mm. So it's just, you know, I just kind of keep track of them. And and there's some of them, like right now, a lot of the comics are on the back burner because I'm so busy with the movies and stuff that the comics are kind of just waiting until I have time to devote to them. And then I'll have more time and I'll, you know, get those finished off and release them. And then I'll leave them for a while longer. So it's it's part of, it's part of the job is just keeping track of everything, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it's true. And I'm sure that at some point in the future, we're going to see these comic characters turn into novels and screenplays. They are very different types of writing. Uh, you know, screenwriting is much different than writing for a comic book, which is much different than writing, you know, for a novel, um, which is much different than writing for television. Um, there are a lot of people who really would like to write uh, and uh, for comic books or have sort of the, the sort of, um, a project that, that revolves around uh, everyday people from the outside that turn into superheroes or have some superpower. And I'm curious, what are the unique challenges for writing uh, comic books? I think there's been a million books on how to write a screenplay and why that can be hard. I think there's been a lot of books on how to write dialogue and, and write for novel, but there doesn't seem like there's a lot of resources or people out there that can talk to you about how to write within the limits of a text bubble. Yeah, there's, I mean, each kind of medium takes its own, has its own kind of, uh, you know, like the way it works, uh, you know, it takes practice. Uh, comic books is just different because it has to be told in pictures, which, you know, the other mediums don't. Um, and I've, I've even seen kind of like early scripts from other writers when they're first starting out for comics. And they'll, you know, they'll say, you know, for example, panel one, the guy jumps out the window, lands on the ground, and runs off down the street. And it's like, well, you can't really have that in one panel because that's <laughs> you know, that's, that's several <laughs> different actions. You have to break that into more. Right. Um, and that took me to some adjusting too. And you know, I ran into the problem earlier on where I would need like 15 panels on a page to get through the actions. I would break everything down so much. Um, and it's like, no, that's way too many panels. I have to figure out a way to get the action across in fewer panels, like fewer motions, and it just comes down to just practice. Um, and a lot of it comes down as well to, you know, once once you get the artwork coming in, then it kind of you're like, oh, I kind of see how this works. And next time I don't need to do this, then this, then this. I could just cut out that middle piece and just stage it differently so that the action flows better. And I don't need to have so many panels. And so it basically comes down to like every other medium where it's just practice. Um, you just like learn how to do it. And as you learn how to do it, you can just do it faster. Um, and then it, it just gets easier. 
Um, sometimes where it come, gets hard is jumping from one to the other. Um, even like today, I was sitting here working and I was working for a while on a, a script that I was hired to do a polish on, like a screenplay. Mm-hmm. So I worked on that for a couple hours and then I jumped into my latest novel. And even just jumping from the screenplay to the novel, it was there's just that moment of like, whoa, this is, it's just different, you know, and screenplays are kind of uh, told in kind of like present tense, whereas novels are past tense. And it just kind of takes that moment to like reset and adjust. Um, but yeah, for people that want to get into it, it just comes down to practice. That's it. Like there's, if you just keep at it long enough, you can't help but get better. Um, you know, I, I remember when I wrote my first comic, Stargirl, um, I've since changed the title um, because of DC's Stargirl. I was starting to get people confusing the two and, you know, I don't want to get sued by DC. So uh, no. I just changed, yeah. I changed it to uh, Lasha Trinity Space Girl. But anyways, I wrote... I wrote the first comic um, and I started selling them. And I remember uh, Mike Barron, the comic book writer, used to write The Punisher back in the 90s. He was always one of my favorite writers. I contacted him and asked if he'd read it. And he was nice enough to do it. And he kind of responded and he's like, you know, congrats on making your first comic. But he's like, you got to he's like, you got to become a better writer. Like um, he's like, basically, you're not good enough yet, which kind of hurt. But he gave me some encouragement and gave me you know, a couple books I need to read. But that kind of helped me realize I need to become better. So I started just actively, instead of just assuming I'm good enough and writing what I wanted, I started trying to make it better, just, you know, better phrasing, better vocabulary, just, um, just you know, the way I, you know, just the way I write. I just started actively trying to make it better. And I started reading things with an eye for seeing how other people did it. And I would adapt certain things. And that was pretty much the exact moment when I started doing that, that I started selling my scripts all of a sudden. Whereas up to that point, I had virtually no interest. As soon as I started doing that, I started getting good enough to people would start paying me money for writing. Um, and to this day, I'm always trying to get better and better and better. And just, you know, just the way I, you know, the way I write things, I'm always reading other screenplays just for just to see how they do it. And I'm like, hey, I could take that. I could do that that way. And just to make sure I'm always improving. And I even read screenplays that I wrote like a year ago. And I'm like, oh, man, like that is so not as good as I am now. I'm, almost in, I'm embarrassed that I even sent this to people. Um, so I'll rewrite it um, and just basically make it better. So I'm trying to keep everything up to my current um, level of uh, talent, basically. And I, honestly, I have a couple scripts that I haven't touched in four or five years, and I'm almost scared to dust them off and look at them because they're probably horrible. Yeah, it sounds like to me, first of all, all that stuff is super relatable, especially the part about leaving your script, taking eyes off your script and then coming back to it three months later, six months later, one year later and realizing, okay, the thing you were in love with a year ago is no longer up to par. Uh, We hear that story a lot. I can personally relate to it. And uh, that is absolutely spot on. But the thing that jumped out to me in all of it, and you mentioned it for a moment, was vocabulary, how the vocabulary changes from each medium. Uh, In a novel, you can really wax poetic if you want to and and really get, you know, into the dictionary a little bit. With screenplays, you want to keep it really sparse because it's a visual medium. And then with comic books, I assume you're writing to your audience and you probably have to maybe, I don't want to maybe dumb it down as the wrong words to use and the wrong phraseology of it but you would think you'd want to make sure your audience can read it and understand it. Right. Yeah. For like, for novels. Yeah. Like people, people are going to be reading it. That's the thing. So it has to be, you know, it has to kind of fill that, um, 
you know, it basically, yeah, yeah, it has to wax poetic, as you put it. Yeah, whereas a screenplay, people generally aren't going to be reading it, except for the people making it. So it doesn't have to, it has to be more concise. I still try to make it like a good, a good piece of literature. Like I still want people to be able to read it in one sitting. I want people just to not be able to, you know, I want it to be a page turner, right? I don't want them to put it down. So I try to make it entertaining for the person reading it. Uh, for comics, it's going to be a smaller number of people of re- uh, reading it. Usually, just the you know, the artist, um, basically the core creative team. So that one, I basically, I don't, I wouldn't say I don't try as hard, but like the scene descriptions are much more. Just here's a list of what's needed in the in the panel. Here's what you got to draw. Um, you know, I don't worry about you know phrasing and making it sound great because it's not really. It's basically just like a blueprint for making the comic. Um, so each one takes takes a different approach, um, and with, you know I read a lot of scripts from, or at least I used to, from earlier, um, like screenwriters earlier in their career, and mm-hmm. a lot of time they have way too much description. You know they have this whole page of describing something, and I was like, man, that should be three sentences tops, right? Just get right to the point, and I'll go through multiple drafts of my script and just look for words to cut out, you know. It's like I read in a Stephen Stephen King's book on writing. Mm-hmm. It's like omit needless words. Um, that's where I remember reading from him. So it's like if you can just get rid of one word, it just makes it a tiny bit better. Um, just so like every word is purposeful and every every word is put there for a reason. And you're not just like babbling on with long sentences that are kind of boring. Mm-hmm. It's like just make sure everything is kind of like sharp and to the point. Um, that's how I approach it. Um, and even to this day, I read. Um, you know, books and screenplays, and they're just like, you know, five steps ahead of me in that. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like I got so much, you know, here I was thinking I was pretty good. I, I got so much further. I got to go. Um, so I, I'm kind of glad that I haven't reached my peak. You know, I still have to learn more. I can still write better. I can still tell better stories and tell them in a better way. I can, you know, just phrase things betterly, better and just basically be a better writer. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's... This idea of just putting in the work and practicing all the time it makes me think about uh, the old cliche of, of you know a, a writer that's written one screenplay isn't a pro you know the the or basically two screenplays makes you a pro you know or more than one not just writing one a lot of people write one screenplay professional writers write more than one so uh, I love that and it sounds like you've put in that work and you in each day you get better it's a great lesson to learn and to remind yourself of if you're a listener of this podcast and you're in that, that the creative uh, field, which we all hope you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, who, what are the uh, two best pieces of advice you've received so far in your career and who did they come from? Oh God. Well, I guess uh, one, one would be what I just kind of explained from Mike Barron when he told me you have to write better. Um, Cause you know, I, I've, I've kind of stopped reading scripts that people send me and stuff. You know, I get asked every day, people kind of want me to read their script and give them advice. And I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. But when I did that, like I, I would notice that they're, even if the story's good, like I could tell they just don't have the writing chops yet, which is fine. Cause I used to be there too, but it's like, you, you can't just think I have a good movie idea. I wrote a script and it should be made. It's like, no, you have to work at it. You have to make this good because you are, you are up against some very talented writers who have a pretty good track record and, you know, you can't, it just, it takes work to, to make it better. And it's like, once you're done your first screenplay, it's probably not good enough for anyone to read. 
you're going to have to write a second screenplay and a third and then just, you know, read more, learn more, make it better. Um, and then go back and rewrite those ones and just learn more. But, um, so yeah, it's just, yeah, learn the skill. It's, it almost makes me mad sometimes when people think it's like they, they disrespect the, the skill of screenwriting by thinking that, you know, I can do that. I've watched a movie before I can write in English so I can write a screenplay. It's like, no, there's so much more to it. Right. Like, like, Hey, I can bounce a basketball. Therefore I could be on an NBA team. It's like, no, you cannot. It's going to take a long time to get there and a lot of work. And there's going to be a lot more heartache than you expect. Um, but I don't want to be discouraging because, you know, I started from ground one too, where I totally sucked and I just started doing it again and again and again and again. And, and, you know, eventually people start noticing and eventually you're like, Hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. You know, I've learned all those, um, those lessons and I fixed all those rookie mistakes and stuff. So that's kind of one. Um, second piece of advice. I don't think it comes from any one source. It's just kind of general knowledge that it's going to take a lot of perseverance because like I, I mean, I deal with like a huge amount of rejection and it almost seems to get worse as I go along mm. um, because I'm writing more and pitching, I'm meeting more people with, you know, and just, you know, higher level people. Um, whereas, you know, people say when you're starting out, you have to worry about getting rejected. And I'm like, you know what? That's not quite true. When you start out, you have to worry about people ignoring you. Like you have to, you have to work your way up a little bit before you start getting rejected because at the very beginning, no one cares. No one's even going to read your script. Um, you're just like, you're not even at that point. It's once you start becoming a contender in it, that's when you start getting the constant rejection. And, and after that, you know, it's like you start getting just, you know, every once in a while, you'll get that one kind of win. You know, that one person will like your script. The one person will option it. The one person will make it. The one person will pay you for it. And, um, and even now, like I, I have a spreadsheet that I keep of every single person that I send a script to and their contact information, which script it is, what the date was and what the result was. And if you look at it, it's like pass, 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 mm -hmm. like almost. And then it's just like, hey, they requested the script, pass, pass, pass. Um, and then the other one, it's like, hey, they they bought it or they made it. Um, but we're at the point where I've like, you know, between the hundreds of rejections, it's probably even the thousands now. I've only had a handful of movies made, but if I'd given up after the first couple dozen rejections, you know, I wouldn't be at this, this point. So I even encourage new people. It's like get rejected as many times as you can and get used to it. Just pitch so many people and get turned down so many times that eventually you get kind of numb to it where now you all get an email and it's like, Oh, you know, um, we've decided, you know, we're going to pass on your script and it's kind of like, whatever, it just doesn't even phase me. Um, but once you start doing that, it's, you know, it's kind of like the, the telemarketing theory that if, you know, so many people are going to slam the phone down, you know, slam the door in your face. But if you do it enough, one in a thousand are going to want whatever it is you're selling. Um, so sometimes it comes down to a numbers game. And a few years ago, I spent the entire summer. I just spent, it was like three months every single day. I email, I cold emailed 10 producers um, and pitched one of my scripts to them. And, you know, well over 90% just ignored me. Um, some of them, you know, replied that they weren't interested, but I met a couple and one of them ended up referring me to another producer who hired me to write a script, which at the time was the most I'd ever made for a script. So basically it took me doing all of that just to find that one contact, um, that led to me getting this one project and, you know, and the producer who responded, we're still in touch to this day and, you know, it might lead to work down the road. Um, so it just takes a lot of that, just like reaching out to people and just constant hustle and, um, 
and having more projects. Like you mentioned the one script thing, like so many people have their one script. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, I have like a whole bunch and, and, and the thing with John three sixteen, the one that just won those awards. When I met that producer, Jarvis Griner, um, yeah, like he asked me if I had any scripts and I sent him, I think three horror scripts I had and he responded and he's like, you know, they're, they're well-written, but he's like, I don't really like horror. Do you have anything else? And thank God I did. I had one that wasn't horror. I was like, by the way, I have this drama. And he loved it. He bought it. They made it. Um, if I had only had one horror script, that movie would not exist. Yeah. Um, so it's like you have to have more things. And even now, like I'm always – I know the certain genres, like you know, um, kind of like one or two people in a single location, uh, the romantic comedy, the horror, the thriller. I know kind of the big ones, and I make sure that I, I have those written. So if someone's like, um, do you have a thriller that's like maybe a family and it takes place on like one property? So like, yeah, I got something like that. I can pitch it to you. Um, do you have like a horror that's kind of supernatural? You bet I got that. Um, do you have a, you know, uh, do you have like a romantic comedy? You betcha. Um, so I'm always prepared um, that I have those scripts because you never know what someone's going to be looking for. Right. The film industry is turning into uh, turning to data so much more. And that's why a Christmas romantic comedy, a horror or anything that can make money cyclically, meaning, you know, because of the holidays, uh, because that holiday comes every year, that's going to be a more profitable movie in the world of streaming. Uh, if it's a horror, it's going to play every single uh, Halloween uh, because um, of the streaming and the way the streaming world works. So it's always good to have those in your back pocket. And you talked about rejection and we've heard so many times that that is one of the toughest things to deal with. It, it, it's enough to make certain people quit. Um, it's enough to, to really drive people over the edge. You sound like you've learned to deal with it, but how do you deal with it? Because, it, you know, there is this past that you have where you might have turned to the bottle or turned to the pill or turned to whatever um, to cope with whatever is tough in your life. And now you have new coping, me- new coping mechanisms for that. Um, what are those things? What In the beginning, now I know you just shrug it off, but in the beginning when you got that rejection, how did you cope with that without turning to the dark side, so to speak? Well, I find that a lot of it is having other things you're working on. Like they always say like, you know, if you have the one script that's your baby, it's like, well, you're putting too much into it. I always had multiple things. So it's kind of like, okay, if they if they reject this one script I have, well, that's fine because I'm working on this new one that I'm super excited about. So it's kind of like, yeah, I, you know, not that I've forgotten about the other one, but it just, it means less to me. I'm, I'm just kind of detached. Yeah. Um, and I don't see it, even though I put, you know, I put my soul on all, you know, however you want to phrase it into every project, but it's still, it's just a thing that I create. So I am detached from it. So it's not like you're not rejecting me. You're just rejecting this thing. And it could be like, hey, they don't like horror. So it doesn't matter how good a script is. They just don't want it. Um, And a lot of times is like they're only making two movies this year and they have so many submissions. It's just the odds. They probably even some of my scripts. I remember um, Man of the Box being one of them. Some production company, you know, they said that they were having they had like uh, 1200 scripts or something that they were like sifting through. I was like, oh, my God. And then the some development woman contacted me and she's like, yeah, like we, we kind of narrowed it down to 200 and yours is one of those. And I was like, Oh great. And then like we narrowed it down to 12 and your, yours is one of those. I was like, Oh my God. And of course, when, by the time they narrowed it down to the ones they were going to make, mine was cut and it was like shit, but you know, whatever it's, you know, it's still a pretty good script to make it that far. So it's just, 
you know, detach yourself from and it's not a rejection of you personally. And a lot of it comes down to their taste. Like I have this one script um, called first, well, the title has been changed, but it was called uh, Firstborn Son. And I remember I pitched it to a bunch of people and this one jerk in LA, this guy they read it and he's like, sends me this email, just trashing it. He's like, horrible dialogue, poorly written, blah, blah, blah. And and I was kind of like, oh, man, like you got to go the extra mile to be a friggin' asshole. Like, right. that, you know, like that kind of hurt a bit. But then, like, it was like two or three days later, this other producer messages me and he's like, I love the script. Um, he's like, he's like, this is great. Like, it really, and he optioned it, like, on the spot. And to, it's still in development, like, hopefully going to be made soon. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, well, which one of them was right? You know, like, the one guy just didn't like it for whatever reason. The one guy did like it. So even if someone rejects your script, well, someone else eventually will like it. Or you maybe it's just not quite good enough yet, but you could wait a year, rewrite it, make it better. Then someone will like it. Um, so it just comes down to basically not taking it personally. Because um, it's just like, you know, every person that's going to, you know, in a position to judge your script, you know, they have their own kind of life and career to worry about. They're not there just to, you know, hurt your feelings or anything like that. You're just another writer and they probably, you know, go through thousands of them. Right. And it's just, you know, scripts get submitted to them. It's not what they want. It's for whatever reason. It's, you know, it's just something you have to deal with. Yeah. And oftentimes they have an idea of what they're trying to find in their head already. And then they project that onto your work. Uh, one one of the reasons why I love having partnered up with with uh, Nick as my business partner here at Bonsai Creative is because he's so hard to please. And so so much of it comes down to temperament. I know my weakness is that I'm very easy to please. So you can do, uh, you can tell me a bad joke and I'm going to laugh at it. You can send me a script that has no grammatical errors, but outside of that isn't great. And I might be like, hey, I have some promise. Whereas Nick will, will read it and then he'll be someone where it's like, okay, if Nick likes it, it passed a bar of quality that is far beyond my bar because he's harder to please. And it's good to have a different mix of readers in your, in your core group because of what you just said, everybody's different. They're coming from different perspectives. You don't know what's real and what's not. And the one thing I will say I do, Brandon, is I'll, I'll say uh, to screenwriters, ask someone to judge your script from one to 10, but they can't pick seven. (laughs) And if they take seven out, then they're put in a bind because they can't, if they go six, you know you have work to do as a writer. If they go eight, it means it's really good, right? So that's uh, a little screenwriter trick I like to share uh, where you take the bailout number away. Um, in 2013, you wrote this cool uh, article called The Ten Do's and Don'ts When Submitting to Comic Book Publishers. And Oh, my God. (laughs) And there were four points that you made 10 points, but there were four that really stuck out to me. So I wanted to play a little game with you really quickly and give you the point. I don't even even remember what the hell I wrote, but uh, this is interesting. I want to just give you the point that stuck out to me and then give you give me a a sentence or two about each one and and why you thought it was so important. So at the number two spot, you say give your page rate when when asked for it. So basically know what you're worth. Why is it so important to know what you're worth? in the meeting and how do you get to find out what you're worth? I think, honestly, I think I was writing that from the point of view, because um, at the time we were searching for artists. Mm-hmm. So we would just put calls out, you know, on message boards, social media. And I would say, Hey, we're looking for like our comic book artists or colorers or whatever inkers. Um, 
like send us samples of your work and your page rate, what you charge per page. Um, and, a, and a lot of reason for that is, you know, we had a limited budget. So people that would charge way beyond our, but we just, it's like, we're not going to hire you no matter what. So just let us know. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, charging your worth, but we are looking for within our budget at this point. And some people just would not, would not do it. And it would kind of waste my time going back and forth, um, looking at their samples and all of a sudden they'd want like, you know, freaking a thousand dollars a page where everyone else is charging one twenty five. you know? So I'm just, I think that's kind of why I put it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as far, as far as the knowing your worth thing, that's always hard because especially as a struggling indie writer, it just, it always comes down to usually comes down to how much, what their budget is basically. Um, and you know, when I started out, like the first bunch of scripts, I just like short scripts, I gave away for free just to kind of get things made and get some credits. And it got to the point now where it's like, I kind of have a minimum now where it's like, it's just not worth my time. And it's kind of always slowly going up and it depends on the project and stuff. But it's just one of those things where it's going to be hard to figure out. And when you start off, it's like, you know, you're going to get ripped off a lot. You're going to work for, you know, less than minimum wage just because you got to get your name out there. Right. Uh, It's just going to take a lot of, you know, making stuff and not getting paid for it until you're, until you're established and, and, you know, the confidence builds and then you kind of go from there. I love it. Number three, you, you wrote, Make it easy for the person hiring hiring you. Uh, tell us about that. What? Why is it so important to? And, and how does how can a creative make it hard to get hired? Like I remember the reason like I wrote these is a lot of a lot of people would they would make me angry and maybe they didn't mean to but <laughs> they would they, they would just do something that would make me not even give them a chance. It's like you know what I got I got like 120 emails. And a bunch of them were so like, they just made me angry that I'm like delete. And so I kind of put something out there where it's like, I wonder if people know how they're being perceived. So it's kind of like, if you make it hard, like some people, they they wouldn't, you know, they just wait like 12 days before answering my email. Um, You know, other people would just, they would not, I would have like specific questions and they just wouldn't answer them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they would, they just do something just to make it the process difficult. They would just make dealing with them difficult where it just frustrated me, which would make me not want to work with them. So I've always been like that in my own career is like, I want, I want to, you know, respond in a reasonable amount of time, be clear in my answers, be friendly and just do everything. That's not going to annoy the, the, the person that I want to hire me. Yeah. And the, the thing about all these ones that I pulled out, Brandon, they all, they all seem to relate across the board to all types of creative and all types of pitches and all types of work, especially in film and indie film. And number six really stood out to me as well. And this is a pet peeve of independent filmmakers, which is, Hey, how am I supposed to get on if you won't give me a chance? But number six, you write, don't ask me to give you a chance when you have no experience. So how would you answer an, an indie creative that wants to get a chance, but has no experience. It's one of those, it's like the chicken or the egg thing. Right. But the thing is everyone has, who's now working has somehow figured out a way. So it's not impossible. And I think kind of what I meant is a lot of people think they're like owed Mm, something. Yeah. Like even now I get people to email me and they're like, I just wrote my first short script and they're basically like, make it. It's kind of like, hey, I wrote this thing, therefore you'll want it, so make it. You'll put, and I'm like, dude, like I got my own projects. I'm not just <laughs> gonna make your script because you tell me to, or you know, it doesn't work like that. And that's like surprisingly common. Um, right. Even when I did like back then, when I did my, you know, 
um, artist searches, like, you know, most people would be like, they would do what I asked. Like, here's a sample of my work. Um, here's some of the, the projects I've worked on in the past. And this is what I charge per page. That's good. Other people would be like, you know, um, here's just like a drawing I made. that's not very good. And they'd be like, you know, when do I start? Or they'd be like, I, I don't want to work on that project you mentioned. I want to work on a different one. And it's like, well, I'm not hiring for that one. And you don't get to decide, right? It's people would just kind of have that. And they would just, you know, even like actors sometimes just like, I want to be an actor. Hire me in one of your things. And they kind of, you know, bother me about it. And they kind of have an attitude. And it's like, you can't just demand to be in a movie and expect it because, right. because you want to be an actor. It's like, I'm going to look for people with experience. And the thing is, if you have if you have the real drive to make it, you're, you're going to find a way to do it somehow. No. Um, and it doesn't take any work. You don't even have to be published before. You just have to have art. So if you know that you want to be an artist, draw some comic book pages, just make up your own thing. So you have samples um, and show them to me. If you don't even have that, then you can't really be expecting me to hire you and, and even less so, you know, demanding that I hire you. Yeah, I love that last one. And this one's interesting too. It has, it, it's, sort of has the same type of dichotomy because on one hand, no one has their radar up for a fraudster more than an independent creative. And they're always looking out for people who aren't going to pay them for their work. And I think that actually permeates into all creative a little bit, but especially in independent film. But at the same time, we hear stories and you've told the story on this, in this conversation, we've all heard stories of people having to do their first few things, handful of things for free, they work for free or they finance it themselves or, you know, the money just doesn't come. And number seven, you wrote, don't ask for large sums of money up front. So how, how would you talk about that in terms of, okay, here's a creative, they want to get paid for their work, but they have to be careful on how much they ask for, or, or maybe they should be willing to, uh, take a discount or work for free. What was your, what's your concept on this? What's your, what's your thought? I, I wrote that because like a lot of the people would, they'd be like, this is my page rate and they'd want it either upfront or even half upfront. Mm -hmm. And at the time I'm a bit different now because I've kind of learned who I can trust and you know, but they've a track record. But back then a lot of these people had never done a comic before. And it's like, and if I send you a hundred bucks upfront, how do I know you're not going to just keep the money and not do the work? Right. Because I've had so many people, that it even like signed a contract with me to do the work and they've still ghosted me. So I was like, man, I'm not going to send you money because it's, you know, I don't know if you're going to disappear. Right. The way I structured it, I, of course, I understand that they don't want to do all the work and then have me rip them off. So <laughs> it's a bit of a prisoner's dilemma, isn't it? <laughs> I would just pay them. I would pay them after every page. I was like, you do one page of work yeah. and then I'll pay you Do the second page. I'll pay you that way. You're never in into it any more than one page. And if I don't pay you, you don't do any more work. And at the absolute worst, you're out one page. Yeah. I thought that was fair. And that's how, that's what I would tell everyone. If they're like, no, I want to be paid for like the entire comic halfway, half up front. I was like, nah, because the thing is like a hundred or 500 or thousand dollars is significant. And that's worth something to you. So you have a reason to rip me off. If you're dishonest, me getting one page of comic and then ripping you off and not paying you. It's not going to help me because I got one page, which is useless. Yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of, it's like, you know what? Don't even ask. Um, cause like, it's just, you know, like, you know, there's, there's businesses and stuff that have a track record that they want money up front. And it's like, okay, that's understandable. If it's just someone in another country that you're talking to over Facebook 
it's like, man, I just, I'm very hesitant to PayPal you money when I don't even, you know, I've never even spoken to you on the phone. Right. We just, um, so now, nowadays, like I have a track record and I've kind of learned who's trustworthy. So there are times where I would do that. And there's times where I'm writing things where I get paid a partial upfront too. But when you have no track record and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just a hard decision to make for someone. Cause at the time, even now I wasn't in the position to give away a lot of money and then have, have, have me lose it. Right. Yeah. And it sounds like a problem technology could fix, you know, like by having some sort of, um, digital escrow, if you will, that, that, yeah. that could, that could solve the problem in the, in the future. I think those things might exist. This is like 2013, right? Yeah. And I was just starting to, and I just, you know, I didn't know all that stuff. Well, they might exist, but I don't think they're w- widely used or well-known. I mean, it's, it seems like you could democratize it a little bit and that would take sort of that prisoner's dilemma out of it a little bit. But um curious about this question. If you had one month to teach someone how to write, to be a competent writer, what are the first three things you would teach? Oh boy, that's hard. Um, I don't even know if I can come up with three, but one, I would just say conciseness. Like a lot of a lot of writers, including me in my earlier days, um, would just babble on way too much um, until I, and, and then when I would do revisions, I would usually just add more stuff. Whereas I learned that cutting out, chopping down, making everything concise, making scenes, dialogue, um, conversations, sentences, paragraphs, more concise, you know, just make sure everything is clear. Um, you know, I read a lot of newer stuff and I just, I have a hard time following it and figuring out what's going on because the writer isn't clear. So it's like, just make sure everything is easily understandable in the most concise way possible. That's definitely going to help you out a lot. Um, and another thing too, is it's kind of like, don't try to write what you think other people want you to write. You know, don't try to imitate Tarantino or whoever your favorite people are. Uh-huh. I see a lot of that whenever some new movie comes out and then you see a whole lot of scripts that are in that style. And it's like, find your own voice. Don't just copy other people. Um, you're probably going to get a lot farther doing that way. Uh-huh. And I guess the third would be just practice, right? Just do it over and over. I even tell people that even if I never tried to purposely get better, I would still be pretty damn good just because I've been doing it long enough. And, you know, if you just keep practicing, you'll pretty much against your own will get get better at it. You know, you just <laughs> you keep doing something, you're going to get better. It's just how life works, you know? Um, so if you just keep writing scripts they're going to get better. So it's just, yeah, keep practicing. You've been so successful this far. The playbook that you have drawn up has worked. You're living in Canada. You're living in Canada, I should say. Um, have you ever considered moving to one of the movie hubs in the States? Is that something you plan on doing? And where do you see yourself in this changing industry in the next five or 10 years? I've, uh, of course, I've thought of it. It's just, you know, for one, I'm, I'm, I'm mainly a writer, which I could do from anywhere. And honestly, Edmonton is pretty cheap. Like I think I read that, um, you know, rent in Edmonton is on average 75% less than it is in, in New York. Mm-hmm. So if I moved to LA, I would basically just be living in a more expensive place where it would be equal cost equal to email a script to someone. Right. So, um, when the time comes where it's starting to be an issue where me not being there is a problem, I could see, I mean, there's visa issues to deal with, you know, now COVID, we can't even cross the border. I mean, it's, um, 
know, it's not like being elsewhere in the States where I can hop up and move, you know, because I am, you know, a foreigner technically. So I got to go through whatever process it is to move there. But it's just more expensive. Even Vancouver here, you know, it's a, a pretty huge hub compared to Edmonton. But it's so friggin' expensive. You know, I've looked at apartments and I'm like, man, like my apartment here, I'm in a high rise building with a beautiful view of the city. And it's, you know, like a third of what a friggin' one bedroom basement is in Vancouver. So it's right. like it would be foolish of me at this point where I'm still kind of struggling to, you know, once I start making millions of dollars, well, you know, then I can think about that. But right now it's, you know, every cent that comes in is like going out to fund new projects and I'm just not at the point where that's really worth it. Um, so, you know, weather wise, it'd be nice because, you know, it gets frigging cold here in the, in the winters. It'd be nice to be in LA, but it's one of those things where it's like when the time comes, the, it'll come and I'll know it. But for now I'm kind of, happy where I am and I got a great group of people to work with. So I kind of want to stay here for now. And where do you see yourself in uh, five or 10 years in this industry? Oh God, that's hard. It's honestly, I've never really been a goal oriented person. Like I used to (laughs) try to be and it never worked out. So I'm just more of like a daily habits person. Like I just do, I write every day, just do these things and it just grows and grows and grows. And I, you know, I kind of do it that way. So that's hard to say, but I want to have a lot more films under my belt and be doing a lot bigger films. And, you know, I eventually just want to get to the point where um, there's not so many obstacles. Whereas right now it's like, we can't get big budgets. So only so much that I can do. I want to get to the point where I can just do whatever the hell I want and find the money for it rather than, you know, we have to have a small cast and, you know, very few locations. I I just don't want to have those, um, those kind of limits on what I'm trying to do. Totally understandable. Well, we look forward to that and following your path. You're a very busy man, very prolific writer, and uh, it is going to be so exciting to see what you come up with next and where your career goes. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and on the internet and maybe even where they can see your work. Um, yeah, you can reach out to me. My name is Brandon Rhinus. I'm sure you'll be in the show notes. So I'm on Facebook and Twitter just and Instagram, just at Brandon Rhinus. Um, Higher Universe is my company. There's Higher Universe Comics and Higher Universe Pictures. So if you just look up Higher Universe um, on Facebook, you can find that page as well. And on the, the Higher Universe YouTube channel has, uh, you know, you can watch all my short films and other stuff on there. And, you know, if you just Google my name, um, you can find my interview other interviews and tv appearances and that kind of thing and uh you know check out my imdb page if you kind of want to get a better idea of what i've worked on and um i look forward to hearing from people yeah your facebook page is a riot i do recommend it to anyone uh well we'll leave it at this brandon uh your indie stoner comedy hot box was endorsed by tommy chong how yeah yeah. tommy's actually um (laughs) Funny enough, he's uh, from Edmonton, and um, it was one of uh, one of our actors' dads messaged me, and he's like, he's like, I know a guy who knows a guy that knows Tommy Chong. He might be able to do an endorsement, and I was kind of like, sure, whatever, you know. Like, wasn't expecting the next morning. <laughs> I wake up and there's a message from Tommy Chong, freaking uh, um, endorsing the movie. So uh, that was awesome. If he were listening right now, what would you like to say to him? Oh, absolutely. Thanks. I mean, he's, you know, he's a, a huge name. He's, you know, big famous guy that uh, had no reason to give uh, small people like us a chance. And just the fact that he was nice enough to do that means the world. Um, 
Um, he's a well-respected person and just he's such a kind guy to, to do that. And, you know, hopefully that'll lead to a lot more people um, watching the movie, which is available on Amazon Prime if anyone uh, wants to watch it. It's called Hot Box. Yeah, I think they should. The premise is pretty cool. And I think you're going to laugh your butt off if you watch it. Brandon, thank you so much for your time. And this has been fun and fascinating and illuminating. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. Yes, thanks for having me on. Anytime. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to meet in person here soon. And if not, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll catch up with each other on the Internet. Sounds good. All right, brother. Take care. You too. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It, Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.